what a firm foundation we stand on in Jesus. Good morning, Rock Harbor. For those of you watching live stream, good morning. I'm glad you joined us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the firm foundation we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just come to worship him this morning. We come and lift up the name of Jesus, the name at which all knees will bow and every tongue will confess. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and we just give ourselves to you asking that you would guide and direct our every step. Father, would you prepare our hearts this morning to receive all that you have for us? And in so doing, Lord, would you give us ears so that we can hear your voice? Would you give us eyes that we can see all that you want to show us? And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would send the Holy Spirit into your church, strengthening, encouraging, and blessing your people, and helping us in all our ways to magnify and glorify your name. We thank you for this time together. We give it to you now, Lord, and ask your blessing in it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Please, please be seated. <clears throat> well, you guys are probably too young to remember this, but I remember it. I remember when uh, George H.D. H.W. Bush, the elder George Bush, was president. Probably too young to remember that. <clears throat> in 1987, though, uh, the year before the elections, the Democratic frontrunner was none other than a senator from Colorado by the name of Gary Hart. Don't know if you ever heard of him before. All right. <clears throat> but what happened was rumors began to surface regarding Senator Hart. He was a senator from Colorado. <clears throat> rumors began to surface about extramarital affairs. Well, Hart famously dared reporters to follow him and, you know, show this to be true or false. Well, here's the thing. They did. <laughs> Two reporters from the Miami Herald saw a young woman leaving Hart's Washington, D.C. townhouse on the evening of May 2nd in 1987. That woman was none other than 29-year-old Donna Rice. Well, a few days later, the media revealed that Hart had spent a night in a yacht called The Monkey Business with Miss Rice. Now, what he was doing on a yacht called The Monkey Business, it baffles me. But he had spent the night on a yacht called The Monkey Business with Miss Rice, and pictures of Rice sitting on Hart's lap made front-page news around the nation. I think you know what happened to Senator Rice's, um, or Senator um, Gary Hart's presidential chances happened after that. They basically imploded. They went nowhere. But whatever happened to Donna Rice? Well, <clears throat> many of you may not know this, but she was a Christian. And in 2013, she explained how she had wandered from her faith, but returned to Christ. And I quote, she said, toward the end of my college career, I started making these little left-hand turns. Before long, I was dating some non-Christian guys, and I thought to myself, hey, it's not a big deal. It's hard to believe how you can go from here to there. You don't get there overnight. You go there, 
by little wrong choices. I saw Gary Hart only twice, but God was trying to get my attention prior to that, and it took an international sex scandal to get my attention because I was stubborn. God will track you down, and he will let things happen, the natural consequences of your choices. I'm happy to say that uh, Rice, after that, began her journey back to the Lord and ended up uh, getting married and having kids and, and so forth. But she brings up this excellent point, and that is this, that our choices make a difference. They make a difference. Every single day, you face choices. Now, some of these choices may seem small and insignificant, but when you begin to weigh up choices over time, they begin to gather some weight and some momentum. And what happens is that when we begin to make little choices that end up taking us away from the Lord, at first that choice may not seem like such a big deal. But over, that time, over time, that choice becomes more significant. It's kind of like um, golf and slice. Now, if there's anything you probably don't ever want to do is play golf with me because I stink at it. Um, even though I've tried and, you know, my grandfather loved golf and uh, he tried as hard as he could to turn me into, um, you know, something of a golf player. I'm afraid I disappointed him in that regard. But uh, the thing about golf is when you hit a slice, I mean, you know, you know what a slice is when the ball veers off to the right, you know, just, it just veers off. Hook is, you know, this and slice is over here and the thing about it is, all you have to do is hit it just a little tiny bit off, just the tiniest bit at the very beginning, for it to end up 15 yards or 20 yards away from where you originally planned it to be. It doesn't take much. It's the little choices that often make a difference. And that's what I want us to talk about today. I want us to talk about what does true freedom look like? True freedom looks like this. When we choose Jesus Christ in everything and every day, that's where we begin to find true freedom. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to be picking up in verse 15. Rob did a fantastic job last week um, in verses 1 through 14. And so we're going to be picking up here in 15 and reading through the end of the chapter. All right, so let's read this together. Romans 6, 15 through 23, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. God forbid. May it never happen. You're going to see that uh, Paul uses this phrase a number of times over uh, chapters 5 right up through 8 because what he's doing is kind of giving a point counterpoint situation. What he, what he, what's happening is that Paul is revealing uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom from the law. Uh, but what's happening is he's in, he is anticipating people's responses and anticipating how they're going to respond, how they're going to basically twist what he is saying. He says, by no means. And then he gives the reason for that. And we see that again this morning. So what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. 
Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer your slaves as righteous as offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? All right. So we see here two things that I want to talk about this morning. We see a problem and we see a promise. A problem and a promise. Let's discuss those things in turn. Let's talk about the problem. What is the problem? The problem is simply this, that sin leads to death. That is the problem. All right? In verse 14, we saw that Paul famously declared, we are not under the law, but under grace. All right, if you have your Bibles there, you'll see in verse 14 that he ends it by saying, we are not under the law, but under grace. All right? Now, anticipating that there would be some who would pervert this statement or take this statement out of context or try to take this statement to mean something it doesn't, Paul retorts. He, he answers their objection right off the bat when he says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace by no means? No, what Paul is doing is this is when he says we are not under law but under grace, he's anticipating that people are going to respond in this way. That they're going to respond by saying, well then if I'm not under law but under grace, why not sin? What's the harm in a little bit of sin? Why not? I'm under grace. After all, God's going to forgive me, right? You know, what's interesting is that people who tend to take that kind of attitude really don't understand what grace is. And you have to wonder, were they really under grace to begin with? But here's the thing. Paul is anticipating that people are going to take this approach. He's thinking that people are going to pervert it to mean something it doesn't by saying, well, if I'm not under the law, then why not? What, what harm does a little bit of sin do? It does a lot. All right? And let's talk about those this morning. See, what Paul is, is saying is, look, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? All right? What Paul is saying, saying, look, we are all mastered by something, or we are all slaves to something. This is where people often struggle. Because they say, well, I'm, I'm not a slave to anything. But we make choices every single day. Every single one of us. And these choices we make ultimately reveal the obedient, the one we are, to which we are obedient. Whether it is sin or whether it is Christ. Whether we are seeking our own way or whether we are seeking the righteousness of God. 
What are we choosing? Are the things that we choose, are they bent more toward bringing glory to God or satisfying ourselves? It's an important question that we must answer. And so what Paul is saying, saying, look, whatever we choose to give ourselves to, that is what becomes our master. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now look, so we give ourselves to Christ, we become instruments of righteousness. But when we give ourselves to sin, then we invite death into our lives. Now, let's kind of stop right here and expand on this for a minute. What's the problem with a little bit of sin? What's the problem with a little bit of sin? You may be saying, hey, you know what, Darren, it's, it's really not a big deal. Actually, it is. It's a bigger deal than we often realize. Paul talks about sin in these ways. He reminds us that sin is a number of things that we need to keep in mind. The first problem with just a little bit of sin is this, is that sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. <clears throat> sin misleads and distorts God's truth. Did you know that? Sin misleads and distorts God's truth. You see, the thing about sin is that sin tends to be one of those things that over time we begin to deceive ourselves. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, you know, I'm just, just a little bit and, and that's enough. And that'll be enough for me. I'm like that with chocolate cake. Uh, just, just a little slice and, and I'm fine. And I eat that slice and I think, well, what's one more little slice gonna hurt? You see where this leads. Before you know it, I've eaten half the cake and I'm thinking, what have I done? Look, sin is deceptive. It's one of those things where it, mislead, it misleads and it distorts God's truth. It, it deceives us along the way. Have you ever encountered anyone, maybe it's yourself or somebody else, who's been in the grips of sin and how they will deceive themselves that they're okay, that everything is just fine? Or they'll try and deceive you, I'm just fine, and you can tell clearly Everything is not just fine. Notice what it says. I like what it says here in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, the, the thing about sin that is so deceiving over time is that sin tends to focus us on what? On ourselves. Sin becomes deceitful because it always comes back to being about us. It's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about what I want it's all about what makes me happy. It's all about what makes me feel good. That's where sin becomes deceiving because it turns things around. Instead of being focused on others, we become very consumed with ourselves. 
He says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. First and foremost, sin is deceitful. But the second thing that we are reminded of is that sin is destructive. Sin is destructive. Sin distorts and twists over time. Sin has a corrosive effect on our physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. It, over time, it begins to corrode these things. <clears throat> it hardens our heart. Have you ever seen anybody that's had a heart that has been hardened by sin? They just, at some point, they just stop caring. They lose empathy. They lose a sense of compassion and kindness and care for others. You know, what's very interesting is that Jesus was often very hard on some of the most religious people, on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why is that? Because over time, their sin had hardened their heart. It had corroded them to having compassion and empathy toward others. Remember what Jesus said? He said, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's what sin does. Sin will harden our hearts over time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, Paul writes this. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? And that's what often sin is identified with in scripture is this idea of yeast because yeast once you put yeast in bread and you knead it in there and you it, what happens is the yeast spreads throughout the whole loaf and that's what begins to happen with a little bit of sin is that it becomes in that way it becomes to it, you know take over everything it has this corrosive effect on our lives you know i remember years ago um <clears throat> i'm a a little bit of a watch collector i have a number of watches and years ago i had um, uh, a, uh, an older Seiko dive watch that I used. This was my surfing watch. This was my beater watch that I use every day. So if I went surfing, if I did water sports, water skiing, whatever, I would wear this particular watch. And, you know, I'd just strap it on. I'd go surfing and, and you know, whatever the case may be. But one day I went to go grab the watch before surf session. I was getting everything together. And the watch wasn't working. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. What's going on with this? Maybe I just need a battery change. So after a couple of days, I just went and I took it to um, a local watchmaker and just to get the battery changed. He opened up the back and he said, whoa, whoa, we got a problem here. And I said, what's the problem? And he said, look at this. It's all corroded inside. I said, well, what do you mean? And he showed me and he goes, looks like water has gotten in here. I said, what? And it, not much, just a little bit, a tiny bit of water had gotten through the case back. The, apparently there was a problem with the gasket in the case back. And just a little nick, and it, a little bit of water had gotten in there, and it corroded the whole watch, destroyed the whole thing. And I said, well, can you fix it? He said, no, no, this can't be fixed. He said, you, you'd be better off just buying a new watch. But, you know, it, it, I'd have to replace the whole movement, and it's going to cost you more than the watch is worth. You know? And, and, and I see, he goes, well, you know, tell me. And I said, well, I surf with this. And he goes, well, did you ever have it checked on? Did you? And I said, well, no, it's... It's always worked just fine. He goes, you know, you probably should bring it in every couple of years just to check the gaskets and stuff like that because this is what happens. It just took a little tiny bit of water to destroy the whole thing. Sin has that kind of corrosive effect. 
is once we begin to allow it into our lives in that way, once we begin to accept certain things into our lives, it begins to have that hardening effect upon us where we become more numb to the things of God and more focused on ourselves. More accepting of those things that tend to violate God's word. And sin will do that. Sin has a deceptive effect upon us. It has a destructive impact upon us. But then finally, sin has a damning effect upon us. A damning effect upon us. Look, sin is a cruel master that pays its wages in death. Sin is a cruel master that pays its wages in death. Notice what he says here in verses 16 and verse 21. In verse 16, he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. And in verse 21, he says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in what? They result in death. Sin is not a master that has your best interest at heart. It does not have your best interest at heart. It's a cruel master. And it's a master ultimately that pays its wages in death. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Darren, this has got to be the best feel-good message you've preached so far. This is great. Thank you. But you see, that's the bad news. But in order for the good news to be good news, you need to know what the bad news is. All right? In order to understand the impact and the importance of good news, we've got to know what the bad news is. Imagine going to a doctor, and the doctor says, I've got some bad news. That's never something you want to hear from your doctor, is it? Or your mechanic. Or your watchmaker. <laughs> I've got some bad news. Is there any good news? Yes, this has a solution. That's what I want to hear. Well, that's what we're going to get to, all right? Because while the problem is that sin leads to death, the promise is this, is that Jesus gives us life. Jesus gives us life. If we see that the bad news is sin leads to condemnation and death, and the good news, that is a Messiah Jesus, we find righteousness freedom, and life. This is the point at which you say, amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Look, what is Paul's main point in all of this? In this little aside we see here in verses 15 through 23, Paul is driving home to a main point. What is his main emphasis that he is trying to drive us to? It is this. Is that by God's grace and through Jesus' atoning sacrifice, we, we are freed from the, gear, from the grips of sin. <clears throat> through God's grace and through Jesus' atoning sacrifice, we are free from the grips of sin. In other words, sin is no longer our master. Sin is no longer that thing that has mastery or control over us. So... He is asking us, if you have freedom in Christ, if sin is no longer your master, but rather Jesus is your master, why would you even contemplate going back to sin as if it was your master? That is his point in all of this. If Jesus is your master, why would you even think by no means 
absolutely not should you give yourselves over to sin because sin is no longer your master. Jesus is your master. And him being our master is what gives us life, it's what gives us freedom, and it's ultimately what brings us hope. It's what brings us hope. Look, every single day, we are going to make choices. Some of those choices are not going to be some of the wisest choices. I know this. I know. Some days I wake up and I get out of bed and I say, you know what, Darren? That was a mistake. I should have stayed in bed. All right. Maybe that's not always an option. But here's the thing. Every single one of us, every day, we have choices. Those choices don't always work out. I recognize that. But we have hope in Jesus because ultimately Jesus brings us freedom and life and we can always go to him and find forgiveness and hope and everything we need. Look at verses 22 and 23. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. This is your sanctification. And the result is what? eternal life, your salvation. For the wages of sin is death. Remember, once again, remember what I said. Sin is a cruel master that pays its wages in death. But Jesus, Jesus is the master that pays his wages in eternal life and freedom. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In living out these verses, we need to embrace a few things. We need to embrace a few realities. The first is we need to embrace God's grace. God's grace. What is God's grace? God's grace is his unmerited favor lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. God's favor is unmerited favor. In other words, we have not done anything to earn it. We have not done anything to work for it. It's the gift of God. In verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's what grace is. It is a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to merit it. It's not paid to you as a wage. It's a gift. I mean, I want you to think about that for a minute. God has walked up to you and said, I've got a gift for you. Well, what's the occasion? Is it my birthday? No. Well, uh, it, did I do something? No. Well, f- what do I owe this gift? I love you. It's that simple. What is the only thing you need to do? You need to receive the gift. That's it. You receive it. If you don't receive it, if it's of no benefit, but if you do receive it, you have this free gift. That's what God's grace is. It is his unmerited favor Revealed to us in Jesus Christ. I like what it says in Titus 2, 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
God's unmerited favor has appeared to us. That is something to revel in and to thank God for. Thank you, God, for your grace. You know, if there's one thing that I think in many ways kind of marks the culture in which we live, it's this loss, this notion of grace, of treating others with just grace and humility, compassion and kindness. You know, I'm sure there are many people who are hoping that the social media age would be an age of, of kindness and, and compassion, inclusiveness and, and all those things, and it's become almost anything but that because we've lost this notion of grace. We talk about grace like it's a lofty idea, but we practice it very little. But true grace, true grace is unmerited. It's given as a free gift. And this is what God offers us in Jesus Christ. And so living out these verses, we need to embrace first God's grace. Second, we need to embrace God's, Jesus' atoning sacrifice. His atoning sacrifice. Jesus took our sins upon himself so that through his righteousness, we could become the righteousness of God. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's grace at work. <clears throat> and so we need to embrace Jesus' atoning sacrifice. The idea that this, that when Jesus hung on the cross, he took our sin and unrighteousness and placed it upon Christ so that he could take his righteousness and place it upon us. What a wonderful gift God has given us in Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift we have in him. Third, in living out these verses, we need to embrace faith that we simply trust in him, that we accept by faith this wonderful gift that he has given us. And then finally, of course, in living out these verses, we need to embrace the idea of obedience. Obedience, that we are not saved by good works, but unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm sure you're very familiar with this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Obedience. That comes back to this idea of making choices. Look, I want you to understand all these things, all these things are infused in this notion or theme of a spirit-filled life. What we see Paul doing here, especially in chapters 5 through 8 of Romans, is we see Paul showing us that the idea of the spirit-filled life instead of the law-driven life. Instead of a law-driven life, we have the spirit-filled life. As a matter of fact, he's going to go into detail in this in chapter 8 about how we are a people of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit filling us and guiding us and empowering us to do this thing to which he has called us to do. How much we need the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church to be those people that God has called us to be. And it begins, in many ways, with choices. You know, I love serendipity, you know, serendipitous things. I was reading my 
Um, this morning when I got up and I was eating breakfast, I was reading my daily bread like I do every day because I need spiritual nourishment just as I need physical nourishment. And I love how I just want to finish today by reading to you today's devotional in the daily bread. And it's titled, Choose Wisely. Choose Wisely. No, I don't look ahead at the daily bread to see what I'm teaching on. But I love it when the idea, you know, is there. It says, astronaut Chris Ferguson made a difficult decision as the commander of the flight crew scheduled for a journey to the International Space Station. But that decision didn't have anything to do with the mechanics of flight or the safety of his fellow astronauts. Instead, it pertained to what he considers his most important work, his family. Ferguson opted to keep his feet planted firmly on Earth so he could be present for his daughter's wedding. We all face difficult decisions at times, decisions that cause us to evaluate what matters most to us in life, because one option comes at the expense of the other. Jesus aimed to communicate this truth to his disciples and a crowd of onlookers regarding life's most important decision to follow him. To be a disciple, he said, would require them to deny themselves in order to walk with him. They might have been tempted to spare themselves the sacrifices required of following Christ and instead seek their own desires, but he reminded them it would come at the price of that which matters most. We're often tempted to pursue things that seem of great value, yet they distract us from following Jesus. Let us ask God to guide us in the choices we face each day so that we'll choose wisely and honor him. Don't think I could have said it better myself. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you so very much knowing that when we face choices each and every day, that you are there to help guide us in the right choices. And so, Father, we just come to you this day and we ask that you would help us to choose wisely. That we would make a choice reflecting the truth that we, that we belong to Jesus. He is our master. So help us, Lord, to indeed make those choices that demonstrate that we have become slaves of righteousness. That our desire is to do that which is right in your eyes, Lord, which brings you honor, which brings your glory, and which builds up others around us. We recognize, Father, that these choices will often mean that we need to sacrifice things that we want, things that might please ourselves. But, Father, we make these choices in a desire to glorify you and to build up your people, to love you and to love our neighbor. And so help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, each and every day. Father, in Jesus' name, send the Holy Spirit into your church and into your people that we can make choices that glorify your name and shine your light in this earth, in this earth, which in so many ways has become increasingly dark. We thank you for the opportunity to shine as your people. May you be magnified. May you be glorified. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.